And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Pastor Ben Miller. And we've had him on before. Pastor Ben, it's so good to hear from you again today. Great to be back, Dan. Thanks for having me. Pastor Ben, I know we've uh, reviewed this before, but um, when I go to your church's website, which is Trinity Church on Long Island, uh, it mentions that you received your Juris Doctor degree from Oak Brook College of Law. You were then admitted to the California Bar. And then there's a part in here that is implied, and that is that God then called you to the Christian ministry um, as a pastor— and uh, you attended Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary, Master of Divinity in 2005, started preaching at um, the OPC in Franklin Square, and then God led you to become an evangelist and an organizing pastor of Trinity Church. And that's a wonderful church. I I have so enjoyed the few times that we've attended your church. And uh, did I get it all right there? (laughs) Yes. It's all true, and uh, God has been very good. Yeah. And during COVID, I recall that my wife and me were stuck at home sometimes, and we would sometimes also tie into your church worship service and and join you guys and, and watch, and uh, you would be there with your wife and children and singing hymns and leading the people. It was, uh, it's, it's blessed memories, really, and we thank God for your church, for your wife, for your children. And anyway, today I'm just um I got to get to the topic at hand. Uh you <laughs> you have a presence on Facebook and uh, I'm actually not too active on Facebook, but one of the postings that you had was regarding a book by Tom Holland and uh it struck a strong chord with me. Uh, so often it seems that we're we're so fast to say, oh, we live in a post-Christian society, blah, blah, blah. And while there may be a lot of truth to that, this book kind of kind of corrected some overstatements, put it, <laughs> put it that yeah. way. And so I'm wondering if you can explain what this article was about that you that you placed a reference to on on your Facebook page. Well, I should say uh, up front that. The author of the article, uh, the author of the book review, Brad Littlejohn, is a longtime friend and colleague of mine. And so I have not actually – Tom Holland's book, Dominion, has been on my to-get list for a while since it came out in 2019. And I haven't yet gotten to it and read it entirely. But I was very interested in Brad's analysis because I'm quite familiar with Brad's work. Sure. Um, And it struck me as I was reading through it uh, that – as as he as Brad was uh, explaining the the flow of of Holland's narrative and and the conclusions that he draws, it struck me that this uh, this it sounds like things that I've run across in a number of other places. Um, basically, kind of zeroing in on the fact that so much of what causes disagreements and and moral outrage and a lot of the so-called you know polarization that we see around us now so much of that actually can only be explained if all parties involved share certain moral convictions that really are the inheritance of Christianity yeah now whether whether those moral convictions are being worked out in a way that is 
at all faithful to biblical Christianity is a separate question, but there's there are certain moral instincts, cert, a certain sense of how things ought to be, uh, particularly between humans, that actually would have been bewildering and perhaps perhaps would have just been uh, would, would these these moral convictions would themselves have caused scandal and outrage in let us say pre-christian pagan cultures mm-hmm. and so you know Brad just kind of worked out um, Holland's conclusions about all that but I just I just find that actually quite interesting and and I think that the, the how that cashes out is that it it needs to um, and Brad explained this, uh, it, it really needs to influence how we dialogue with actually non-Christian cultures in the world. It helps explain why sometimes truly non-Christian cultures, cultures that have developed in a, without much Christian influence at yes. all, why they look at, at us and they're kind of mystified. <laughs> um, I think it also helps us understand kind of a lot of what's going on in our own society, even among people with whom we would totally, with whose conclusions we would totally disagree. But actually, we share an inheritance of, of a certain kind of moral framework. I just think all this is very interesting. Yeah. Well, I thought it was a fascinating article, what I read of it, and it's written by Brad Littlejohn, and it's regarding Tom Holland's book, Dominion, How the Christian Revolution Remade the World. And uh, at the beginning of this article by Littlejohn, he he says, um, uh, the acclaimed British historian Tom Holland uh, is begging to differ on this assertion that Uh, We now live in a post-Christian world, and he says, a truly post-Christian world would be far darker and more terrifying than the twilight zone we currently inhabit. I like those choice of words. Um, Mm -hmm. It is like we're in a twilight zone. You can't believe some of the nonsense that comes our way nowadays. But again, most of us recognize it as nonsense, even those who are not faithful in their commitment to Christ, not faithfully attending church, they realize, hey, wait a minute, this is just denying reality. This is this or or this is utterly brutal. And and so uh yeah, I think we've inherited a wonderful legacy certainly, but it's also more um thoroughly part of our society than maybe we wanted to admit, even as Christians. Well, and I actually think um, Holland's point and, and Little John's goes even further. Um, it isn't merely that many people still retain um, a kind of basically sort of classically Christian understanding of reality and, and morality, but actually even those who are challenging classical Christian understanding of reality and, and moral uh, reasoning, even those who are challenging mm-hmm. that are themselves working from <laughs> moral foundations that are only explainable in light of Christianity. So, you, right. know, you know, for example, I think um, it's fair to say that there is an obsession with oppression now in our society, and and um, without getting into the weeds of you know how much of that um, is is helpful or or you know legitimate um, or or whatever, it's interesting to reflect on the fact that there's a concern about oppression. Now, you know whether you work that out in ways that are more 
in line with classical Christian teaching or whether you work that out in ways that are actually deeply hostile to Christianity and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, would, would reject even just very basic kind of structures of nature and, um, you know, anything that we, we would call creation, <laughs> there, there's still this sense that oppression matters, whereas, you know, if you back up into, let's say, the ancient Near Eastern context, you know, the Hittite societies, let's say, of a couple thousand years before Jesus, or Assyria, or Babylon, or Persia, let alone like Rome later, <laughs> yeah. there w- if you had power, you just used it. There was not like a, a people weren't sitting down and you know talking about the human rights of enslaved societies. This was just not even a conversation. So that's just very interesting to think about. No, it really is. You caught me drinking a little bit of water, and all of a sudden you turned it over to me. <laughs> no, that um, right. You think about uh, the Roman cross, for example, uh, a method of uh, extreme torture. It's not like they just simply cut the head right. off. <laughs> they wanted this right. this guy, this criminal, this whatever he is, to totally be tortured and then to right. die. And if you think about that, we we today are scandalized by the people who are doing the crucifying. In the ancient thought world, people were scandalized by the guy who's hanging there. Like, yes. he's He's the thing that that evokes revulsion. Yes. Or, or you know, at most there would have been a sense that this is a terrifying thing, and the, and the sense would have been you know don't cross this. Well, pun, not no pun intended. Like don't <laughs> don't pit yourself against the will of this power. You know, Rome, for example, because this is what they can do to you. But it wasn't like people were, you know, gathering in in little enclaves to talk about you know how we might deal with the human rights violations of the Roman Empire. I mean, that, that's just, that's something that grew out of a, grew much later out of a, a Christian understanding of the humanness of people made in God's image and so on. So it's... Yeah. yeah. I like, uh, I like too, the way he applied his thinking to a more contemporary case, and that was the Iraq War. He says, uh, if we fail to realize the saturation of Western culture by Christian ideals, we'll be completely incapable of engaging intelligently with non-Western cultures and baffled by their apparent hostility. In Chapter 20, Holland chronicles the tragic comic story of the Iraq War, in which Western ideologues convinced that all peoples everywhere would share their commitment to freedom, equality, toleration, women's rights, could not understand why many Muslims would rather blow up embassies than accept such liberation. We may trumpet universal codes of human rights, but they are not, have not been, and will not be universally recognized as such. They are the inheritance of Christianity. So there's this very deep, profound presupposition that we have growing up in this Christian Christianized world that that we just can't export unless the heart is changed basically and and then the precepts of, of Christianity are taught and that of course takes time. Well and related to that he uh, Brad uh, again he's working from Holland's material here but he pointed out how <clears throat> 
the only societies in history that have questioned the moral legitimacy of slavery have been Christian societies. Yes. There's a deep there's a deep paradox there, clearly, because there have been many Christian societies that have practiced slavery and, and you know, committed horrible sins uh, against, you know, people they've enslaved, but there has there has been this this problem with that that not just kind of fringe voices have raised, but in time uh, the, those fringe voices have become whole social movements against slavery. That that is just again, if you back up into the the ancient world mm-hmm. pre Christ, um, slavery was just something that was done to peoples sure. that were conquered. I mean, it, there just it wasn't. There was no real. You know, he he, he makes the point just that the instinct that suffering, the suffering of someone else, ought to be something we care about. Mm. We think that's obvious. Someone is in pain, we should relieve that pain. Even if they're a very even if they're a, someone we regard as a very bad person, we should still not be cruel to them. Well, these mm. are these are contestable moral, you know, uh principles that that not at by by a long shot not all cultures would have accepted right. historically. That's know. right. Yes, and then the contrast he points out in history I don't know if I pronounce this right. There's this guy, Bartolomón de la Casas. Obser- la Casas, yes. Interesting guy. Yeah, and observing the enslavement of Indians by Spanish conquerors in the New World, it was clear that, quote, they are our brothers, and Christ, mm. gave, Christ gave his life for them, unquote. Mm-hmm. Well, in reading some of the accounts of Christians watching the early, say, Portuguese slave trade or, or things that went on in the, the Spanish conquests, um, you know, you feel this deep, this deep anguish and tension of, I was just reading recently an account of someone when uh, some of the early African slaves were brought over and sold in the market in, uh, in Portugal, this theologian watching this, believing that in a way this was what was necessary to Christianize these people and yet he's weeping as he watches families being torn apart on the slave block. Mm. And it's just, you just get this, you know, cr- kind of heart-wrenching window into just what a moral problem this was for Christians. That's and right. As it should have been for Christians. That's right. Oh, yes. Um. But, Hall, but Holland's point, and I don't, I don't, not to interrupt, I mean, Holland's point, of course, is just that, that, that those tears... Those are Christian tears, if I can put it that way. Right. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Today we're talking with uh, Pastor Ben Miller, and he pastors Trinity Church in Syosset, New York. It's a wo- absolutely wonderful church. I've been there several times with my wife, Deb, and for a while our son and daughter-in-law attended there until they moved back up into the Hudson Valley. And... Um, Ben, for just a minute, tell folks how to find your church and what time your service is. So we worship um, at uh, 231 Jackson Avenue in Syosset at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. We rent from a very gracious uh, uh, Lutheran church there. Um, The simplest thing would be to to go on our website, which we are 
actually going to launch a new website within a few days. I believe you can Neat. still get to it, though. Uh, it's just uh, Trinity Church uh, Long Island dot com. Yep. Or, uh, so yeah, it's it's not hard to find. Um, but yeah, we would love to have people come and see us. Uh, we God has given us a very sweet bunch of saints, and um, we love having guests. Well, that's true too. It is. There's a sweetness about the congregation, and um, that speaks, of course, to the care of the leadership and the. Uh, the modeling of of the Lord Jesus Christ um, to the people, and a, a deep love for them. Um, today we're talking about an article that appeared, written by Brad Littlejohn, and it's about Tom Holland's book. And um, we often have this um, response here in America as Christians, like, oh, we're in a post-Christian society, everything's quote, going to hell in a handbasket, unquote. It's over with. We're just going to, and you could go on. We're just going to wait around until Jesus comes and hope for the best and and watch our blood be spilt. And yeah, it may happen that way, but um, there's much more involved, and we shouldn't be so simple-minded in um, talking about society because uh, there's strong Christian assumptions uh, all over the place, and even the non-Christian shares those assumptions. Sometimes they use them against us to try to make us feel guilty for our shortcomings, but assumptions they are nonetheless of, uh, of a Christian nature. So let's keep going. What else comes to your mind, Ben Miller? I think one of the things that working through this article uh, brought back for me, is is the importance of confidence as Christians. Um, that when 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 moral charges are brought against Christians, um, we we should be very unapologetic about our accountability to the the standards of our Lord. Right. <laughs> like right. If, if people point out ways in which Christians fall short of the teachings of Jesus, we should be we should just say absolutely that's right. Good point. Um, but but then move on to to make the case, and I, there's a beautiful way that Brad expresses this somewhere in his article, I don't have it right in front of me, but then move on to make the point that it's one thing to fall short of your standards, but at least you have standards to fall short of. Right. <laughs> and we do. And the question I think that sometimes needs to be lovingly pressed against those who oppose Christianity is, what are the standards that you are accusing us of falling short of, and where did you get those, <laughs> if not from Christianity? <laughs> yes. And, 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 and it should just give a, a certain confidence to be able to say, you know, amen to appropriately brought moral charges against sin, but you have to launch that moral charge from some foundation, and if that foundation actually came from Jesus... <laughs> <laughs> then your argument is not an argument against Christianity, it's just against bad Christians. And, yes. in fact, your, you know, and I think we can lovingly say this to certain honest critics, if you reject Jesus, you actually have, are also throwing away those moral foundations, which means right. your charge really kind of fizzles. Yes. And, and, and I think this is how the article closed, and it's very important, I think, again, lovingly, to press this point. Without those moral foundations that we've received from Christianity, what is the alternative? 
I mean, it is actually possible to conceive of a world in which people hate each other and have no moral problem with that. Right. I've made the case to people, if your critique of oppression, when we get into the foundations of it, turns out to justify more oppression, then I really don't, I don't, <laughs> I can't, I can't acknowledge it as a legitimate critique. It, 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 mm-hmm. For example, if, if you say that oppressor people have one morality and oppressed people have a different morality, you know, this thing that has been called standpoint morality, that mm-hmm. my morality is formed by my experience. So this oppressor could not have the same moral framework that I do as the oppressed. You, you hear this sort of thing now. Mm-hmm. If that's true, then actually the oppressor, with their their moral framework, has no reason whatsoever to have any regard for, respect for, deference to your moral framework as the oppressed, which means they should be able to go on oppressing without blinking an eye. <laughs> which means your very critique of oppression justifies further oppression. And I think these are the kinds of arguments we can make. I, I don't mean arguments like we're being argumentative. No, sure, mean, sure. But it's moral reasoning, and sometimes perhaps some of this can stick, and at the very least it should give us confidence to say, you know what, we're not crazy. We are sinners and often deserve the charges that are brought against us in the, in the Church. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we're not crazy to hold these moral uh, convictions, and actually are people who would even be very critical of us and hostile to Christianity, there are ways we can raise questions about just where did you get this? Where did you get this? We actually are acknowledging the validity of where you're coming from, but how did you get there if you Mm -hmm. reject Christianity? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we got about a couple minutes left today. We're talking with Pastor Ben Miller, and he's from Trinity Church, Syosset, New York, and their congregation rent space at a Lutheran church, and they meet in the afternoon. What time did you say you met, Pastor Ben? Uh, worship's at 1 o'clock, and then we have uh, Sunday school at uh, 2.45. Right, right. So um, I hope one of, these, one of these days I can get back down and take in a service. We love your church, and um, you have— I hope you will, brother. Yeah. <laughs> we love you guys and love your elders, and it's, it's just wonderful. Um, in the next couple of minutes, how about that person, Pastor Ben, who has heard all that we've talked about, and in their gut, they just are really cast down? <laughs> you know, maybe they're thinking about what their life was like back in the 1950s and 60s, and, you know, they're an older person, perhaps, and uh, it just feels so foreign to them now, and and the temptation is to say, no, it, it's all gone. You know, it, what kind of encouragement can we provide to that person? Well, I, I think that, and this might be easy for me to say, um, but I think all of us have to face this at some level. I, Jesus is not interested in preserving human cultures. He's interested in building his kingdom Amen. and having that kingdom fill and transform all human cultures. And so I think one thing, it's jarring, but it's also kind of liberating, is we just need to recognize what Jesus is doing. He's not restoring 1950s culture. He's not restoring <laughs> 2022 culture or, you know, 1517 culture. He is, he is building his kingdom. Amen. And he is still doing that right now. 
and he will be doing that until you know the earth is full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters fill the sea. Exactly, and and that I think just gives a a kind of freshness. It it does make us uncomfortable, but we're going to be uncomfortable because the kingdom is uncomfortable. But it's good and it's life giving. Yeah, yeah. I just had a vision flash through my mind some time ago here in my neighborhood. A friend of mine lost his house to a fire, and uh, he lost everything he had in in that in that house, and ended up moving into actually a much nicer house. <laughs> um, unfortunately, he just lost his wife. But we can get very tied to familiarity, and yeah. God wants to do something so great. This yeah. thing that you alluded to of the knowledge of the Lord covering the world as the waters cover the seas is uh, all-encompassing spread Mm. of the gospel of Christ and associated with that people loving him and building society and living for him. Will it be perfect? No. No, it won't be Mm. perfect, but it'll be a whole lot better than some some of the stuff we see happening in world history, including yep. the crucifixion of enemies and the slavery and yep. and things that happen right now in Muslim lands where there's yep. zero tolerance and the Christians are brutally executed. Um, this is amazing. Hey, we have 30 seconds left. You get the last word. Well, the only thing I, the only thing I was going to add was just this takes time. It right. takes God's time. So just be patient and, and, and you know, Plant where God has planted you and, and bear fruit. He, he's got the big thing. <laughs> Amen. Pastor Ben Miller, my brother in the Lord, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a joy, Dan. Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. Amen.